to Romans chapter 5. In chapter 4, we have just, we've looked at over the last week or so, the story of Abraham. Paul comes to Abraham and he brings out Abraham as a person, as an example of faith. And he's pointing to Abraham because there's a key message in the story of Abraham in the Old Testament that we Christians miss. And it's the key message, I'm just a little bit loud for me, just, it's the key message of the family of God. Abraham is not about an individual. Abraham is about a new covenant community. God said, in your seed, in your family shall the earth be blessed. I am making Abraham out of you a new family. The church, God's people, were never meant to be a group of individuals. They were me- we are meant to be a family. And in chapter 4, Paul is bringing this out quite strongly because it's where he's going. He's saying, people, we are not a bunch of individuals who do our own thing. We are a family who represent one God. We are a family. As a family, we are formed by God by faith. As we accept what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we become part of the family of God by faith. That's the only entrance requirement as we believe in what Jesus has done. And as we do so, we become part of the family. There are no entrance procedures. Baptism does not bring you into the family. It's something else. We'll talk about that later on. What brings you into the family is you trusting in God and opening your heart to Him by faith. The family's made up of Jew and Gentile. It's made up of all nationalities, all cultures, all people groups. It's made up of all who accept God's solution to our brokenness in Christ. As we've been seeing, we are a broken people. Humanity is broken. Jesus came to set that right, to fix our brokenness, to restore us to what God intended us to be. So what's so special about this family? We're going to look at that this morning. This is where Paul gets to in Romans chapter 5. We were going to look at a, 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 video, a little video clip off uh, the Bible Project. We'll look at that later on in another day when we've got more time. We're going to get, miss that out this morning. But if you want to go online and look up the Bible Project, there's a, group, there's a couple of Americans who have put together overviews of not just every book in the Bible, but every key belief. You go on to... Google the Bible Project, and there's YouTube clips on every book in the Bible, and they are outstanding. They really are. Theologically, they are right up there. They are outstanding. So if you want a a quick overview of a Bible book, listen to it. It only takes five or six minutes, and you'll get the whole picture. Anyway, that's another story. Romans chapter 5. Let's look at it. We're going to read it all through, and then I'm just going to take out bits. And as I said, I'm going to miss your most important bit, your, your, your bit you love the most out of this passage. Romans chapter 5, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. This is the bit we're going to miss out. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Paul, by the way, is getting distracted. He's not talking about suffering. He's just, it's, it's just got into his head, so he's writing it down. It's actually off the point. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. 
You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this is so, is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, verse 12, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in the same way death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. You know, you're probably getting confused as we read this. Paul writes pretty difficultly. It's, the gift is not like the trespass, for if, if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not, like the res- is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? If you think that's difficult, wait till we get to Romans 7. Consequently, just as, the result of one tres- just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one, the many were made right- sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, many will be made righteous. The law was added, so the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also gra- grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whoa. What on earth is Paul saying there? Lots of things. What he's talking about is this new life we have. And as we look at the new life promised to us in Christ, we need to remind ourselves, first of all, of one thing. And this we need to get really clear. Christians, we need to get this really clear. If you're not a Christian this morning, you need to get this really clear. We cannot do anything for ourselves. Paul makes us very, very clear in Romans chapter six, uh, verse 6, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. He says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We can't do anything for ourselves. When we were powerless, powerless means feeble, impotent, sick, broken, totally unable to help yourself. When we were powerless, Christ died for us. He didn't die for those who had the answer. He died for those who have no answer. He died for people who need an answer. He died for people who who are, are, are totally lost, totally broken, which is us. And the first step to finding God's answer is realizing that you're totally broken. In the 12-step method of a person coming out of any form of addiction, the first thing they must, must realize is they are First of all, they've got a problem, and secondly, they're powerless to fix themselves. 
Nothing can change in our lives until we first realize we ourselves are powerless to change ourselves. We can't do it. And the next thing they learn is they need a higher power. They need somebody outside of themselves to fix them. The high power, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. We need him. We need him in our lives. He came to help the powerless. But not only that, he came to help the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? Those totally opposed to God, separated from him in every way. Jesus died for that kind of person. See, Jesus did that for us when we could do nothing for ourselves, even when we didn't deserve it and when we didn't even want it. The amazing thing about what Jesus did on the cross is that most of the world doesn't want it. Not interested. You try talking to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. Not interested. I don't, I don't want to hear. Not interested. Jesus died for the not interested. He died whether we're interested or not. He died whether we care or not. Our response to that determines whether we enter into healing of brokenness or not. It's no good the world pointing at God and saying, God, what have, what have you done about the world? Why are, these, why are these bad things happening in the world? The bad things are happening because of our brokenness. And he, on the cross, sent his son so that that brokenness might be fixed. He's already done it. 2,000 years ago, the answer came. It's up to us to receive that answer for ourselves. So what did he provide for us? And this is what Paul is talking about in Romans 5. It's really an overview of what we have as Christians. What is ours as Christians? What did Jesus Christ provide for us? Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. The first thing that we must understand is that when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are justified. A big word that just means made right. Declared to be in the right. It's a legal term. We've talked about it before. It's where the judge sits up in his, in his high chair. Not his high chair. His high chair. He sits up there and, he, and, he, and he, the, all of the argument has gone on and he looks at the accused and he says, not guilty. Now, the accused might be as guilty as sin, all right? But he has listened to the argument and because of the argument, he says, I declare you to be not guilty. I'm not saying you're a perfect person. He says, I'm not saying you are a good man. I'm just saying I, because on the basis of the arguments, have declared you to be in the right not guilty. That is the judgment that God has declared upon us. When Jesus Christ stands on our behalf and he says, Father, I died for this person. I shed my blood for this person. And God says, on the basis of that, I declare you to be not guilty. In the right, nothing further to pay. Isn't that awesome? We can't do anything about it. Jesus has done it for us. We are justified, declared to be in the right. That means we have a new position or a new status before God. It doesn't mean we become perfect people. It doesn't mean we start behaving in good ways. And that's what we get wrong. We look at other people and we judge them and say, oh, they shouldn't behave like that. They're a Christian. Christians shouldn't go over 50 k's an hour. When you go over 50 k's an hour, God gets out of the car. Well, that's going to be a problem because he lives within me and I'm still in the car. You've got to just work that one out. <clears throat> I'm not advocating you drive over 50 k's an hour. I'm just saying 
that it doesn't mean we're perfect people. It means that God has declared in His sight we are in the right. There's no longer anything that can be said against us. Our past is over and gone, and we're going to look at that soon. We are justified. We have a new position, a new status before God. We are no longer guilty. And how many of us look at our past and say, oh God, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. How can you accept me? And that's just denying what Jesus has done. He accepts us not because of how good we are. He accepts us because of how great Jesus is. We are declared to be in the right. No longer can our old life accuse us. It doesn't matter what you have done in the past. As I said to you, in, our, in one of our churches formerly, we had a murderer in our church. Gorgeous man. Absolute. I tell you, if you didn't know, you would never know. He was an absolutely beautiful man, just in one fit of rage, when he discovered his wife doing something, he killed a man. And if you had been him, you might have wanted to kill the man too. One mistake. And he served 10 years for it. But you wouldn't know. <laughs> it's not. And yet he could look at his former life and say, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I've, 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 I'm a murderer. No, he's not a murderer. He murdered somebody. But he is now not guilty before God. He is now declared righteous. He's declared, he's justified. He's declared in the right. God doesn't say, oh, you're a second class person. You, 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 you can just get into heaven if you're lucky, but you sit in the corner and don't talk. Not like that at all. It's over, done, finished. God doesn't give us labels. He doesn't say to you, cheat, liar, fraud. And we could go on, couldn't we? Gossip, angry person, Abuser, none of those labels stand before us once we've accepted what Jesus has done for us. They're gone, wiped away, justified, declared to be in the right. God, the righteous judge, declares us to be in the right. So those things can no longer enslave us and no longer keep us from God's love. But how many of us keep dragging them up and say, oh God, how can you love me? What a, look at what I've done. He says, it's got nothing to do with what you've done. It's got everything to do with what Jesus has done. Secondly, let's move on. We have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much in a word. You read that so quick and then you get on to the next verse and you don't even think about what you've read. We have peace with God. Peace. What does that word tell us? Peace has two overall thoughts in it, the word peace. It's similar to the Hebrew word shalom. It's not a Hebrew word, it's Greek, but it has a similar meaning to the word shalom. It means well-being. But the first, the first thing that the word peace brings out is, is a new relationship, peace, oneness, a restored relationship, to set it one again, harmony, secure relationship. Peace has got nothing to do with you feeling good. It's got nothing to do with God feeling good. We think, oh, I just want some peace. What are we saying? I just want to feel good. I want my husband to stop nagging me. I want my wife to stop nagging me. I want my kid to stop crying. I just want some peace in this house. It's not about that. It's about a restored 
relationship. We have peace with God. We have a restored relationship with God. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. When we choose to trust in Christ's death on the cross for us, our relationship with God that was destroyed by Adam is restored. We are then able to come right into the presence of God, nothing standing against us, a new relationship. We have the privilege of a close relationship again. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple was torn, remember? How? From the top to the bottom. What was that saying? There's no barrier anymore. It's not just the high priest that can come in once a year. Anybody's able to come into my presence now. It's restored. A new relationship. In verse 10, Paul goes on to talk about this new relationship. He says, For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciled means to receive one into favor, a transformed relationship. In Christ, our broken relationship with God has been restored. It's been transformed. You can have a, relation, a close relationship with God any time. It's got nothing to do with how good you are or how good you've been or whether you've smiled or not or whether you've been nice or not. It's got everything to do with what Jesus has done for you. It's taken me years to sort that out. I used to, I used to think that I had to, I had to perform like a performing monkey. You know, I had to perform for God for him to accept me. I had to do tricks like Magic Max. And if I did the tricks well enough, God would accept me. He'd say, oh, you've done a good trick today. You can come in. And I used to live my life like that. I'd try so hard. I'd, I'd try to be a good person. And I could never be a good person because I wasn't. Any of you been like that? And so I lived defeated. And I lived, I lived this, this horrible Christian existence of never being good enough. But it's not about being good enough. It's about the fact that God has chosen to accept us. We are acceptable because of what Jesus has done. You've got to get that into our heads. We are acceptable because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we do. If you're in that trap of trying to please God, you are in a horrible position because you can't. The only one who's pleased God is Jesus. We come through what he has done, not through what we do. So we can now approach him without fear of rejection. We are his kids. You know, my kids can approach me without fear of rejection. They can behave in all sorts of ways that I am not happy with, but it does not mean that they're no longer my kids. True? That's the way it should be anyway. And that's the way it is with God. We are his kids now. You're his kid. You're his child. He accepts you. Now, it doesn't mean you can go and behave the way you like. We're getting to that later, all right? That's chapter 6. But right now, we need to understand something in chapter 5. We are his kids, and God does not reject you because of what you have done. You are accepted because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, second meaning of the word peace is a new provision. The word peace also has a connotation of prosperity. Shalom, the Hebrew word has a connotation of prosperity. It's well-being. It's not just 
things going well. It's actually more than that. It talks about a provision. It talks about what God has given us. In chapter 4, he says, we are heirs of the Father. We are like Abraham, heirs. God said, Abraham, I give you everything. You are my heir. And God says to us in Christ, you are my heir. You are joint heirs with the Son. You have everything Jesus has. You don't get that, do you? He says, you have everything that Jesus has. I bequeath it to you. You become my heir. You are joint heirs with the Son. Whatever Jesus possesses, you possess. You say, well, how come I ain't got it? It's because you haven't got your head around it. Alex Larson prophesied over this church last week. And he said this, he said, I see a tree. It's like a Christmas tree and there's, there's gifts, there's presents on the branches. And he said, what, what God is saying to you is those, those gifts that are on the branches are yours to take. Whatever you take, you will have. You start thinking about that. Whatever you take, you will have. Not whatever you earn, you will get. Whatever you take, you will have. That is what this is saying. We have a new provision. Peace is prosperity. God says in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Everything that God has now becomes ours. It is up to us to take it. Now, I haven't fully got my head around that. Have you? Anyone got their head around that? Anyone got everything this morning? Well, you know what I'm saying. There's stuff in there that we don't get yet, but we need to get it. We need to get it. All that is God's is available to us by faith. God wants his children to prosper. He does not want you miserable. He does not want you destitute. He wants you to prosper in every area of life. He wants your relationships to prosper. He wants your marriage to prosper. He wants your children to prosper. He wants your business to prosper. Does that say everyone's going to have to own a Mercedes or two? No. But God wants you to prosper. There's so much we do not possess because we don't believe we can. And I believe there is so much for us in Christ. There's so much more. I'm not going to go into that because I'm struggling with it myself. I'll be honest with you. I struggle with this. You know, the prosperity gospel has really annoyed me. But I think they have hit on something that we have missed. We don't want to chuck the baby out with the bathwater. I think there is so much in Christ that we should be having. I think there is finance available to the kingdom of God that we do not see released because we don't believe it's there. We've got this poverty mentality that, oh, you know, God, can I have three cents? He says, you can have three million. You say, I wish. We say, I wish, because I don't think we've got it. And every now and again, in the history of the church, someone's got it. And finance has become released into the kingdom of God. I'm not just talking about finance. I'm talking about every area of prosperity. But finance has been released into the kingdom of God. Think of George Mueller, the guy who had all the orphanages. Now, he had no money. He was broke. And God said, I want you to open up orphanages for kids. 
He said, I've got no food for myself, let alone kids. He said, just start to gather the kids and I'll feed them. So he started with a few. And, mon- and food would turn up on the doorstep. And so he took in a few more and more food would turn up on the doorstep. In the end, it became a million-dollar corporation just because he believed and trusted God. He took God at his word that God said, I will provide if you're doing my work. Ah, we're missing so much, I think. But I'm not going to go any longer on that. I just want you to start thinking. There's presents on the Christmas tree, people. What are you not taking? The gifts of the Spirit. What are you not taking? Hmm? What are you not taking? What are you not using in Jesus' name that God says is yours? We live such a second-rate Christian existence. I really believe that. I do, and I know if I do, so do you. We all do. We live a second-rate Christian existence because we don't fully understand and believe what God says is ours in Jesus' name. I'll leave you with that to ponder over because there's so much more to say. Let's go to verse 9 and 10. We'll come back to some of this stuff later. It comes back. Paul doesn't let it go. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? There's a word you understand. Saved. Got to heaven. That's not what it's saying. We'll get back to that. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be, here's the word again, saved through his life? Verse 11. Not only this Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word saved is the Greek word sozo. He says so. It means to make whole, to heal, or to restore a broken state. It's got nothing to do with getting to heaven. It's got everything to do with changing you here and now. It's got everything to do with getting heaven into you as well as getting you into heaven. And what does he say about the saving? We are saved. How? We are saved through his life, through Jesus Christ, we are saved. In Christ, what that's saying, is our brokenness is healed. So not only now are we justified, you're getting this picture, Paul is painting it. Not only are we declared to be in the right, but God now says, I'm now going to take this person who's declared to be in the right, and I'm going to start to actually, in real time, fix them up. I'm going to save them. I am going to heal them. I'm going to take their brokenness, and I'm going to fix it. It's a, this word sozo is a continuous word. It's not a once and for only. It's not a, a crisis. It's a process. It starts at The time we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, now you are justified. I am going to save you. I am going to heal you. If you are are a broken person, I'm going to heal that brokenness. If you are a fearful person, I'm going to heal your fear. If you are an angry person, I'm going to heal your anger. If you are are, are a whatever kind of person, I'm going to heal your whatever. If you will surrender to my process. It's a process but it starts when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and it continues as we trust Him. The moment we don't trust Him, it stops. The inner healing process starts when we accept Jesus Christ into our lives. There'll be things in your heart that trouble you. Jesus came to set you free. Not necessarily in an instant, but in a process He came to set you free. But that's not all. 
There's more. Let's move on. Verse 17. There's a lot in this, eh? Verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now, I just want to click on this little phrase, reign in life. We don't just have a new relationship. We don't just have a new provision. We don't just have a new state of being healed, but we now have a new authority. We are to reign in life. This doesn't sound like many Christians, does it? Reign means to exercise kingly power and authority, to be king or queen. As we accept all that Christ has done for us, we enter into a family where we have the privilege of reigning in life, of declaring things and them happening. Now, what is a king able to do? A king is able to say, you shall have red hair and your hair will have to be red. Or you shall have green hair and your hair will have to be green. The king has the right to say, your land is now my land. And the land becomes his. The king has the right to declare things and they shall be done. A king has authority. And what Paul is saying here is that Christians, the Christian church, has an authority that it does not understand. We have the ability to reign in life. We are meant to reign in life through the Lord Jesus Christ. We become, as the Old Testament says, the head and not the tail. It's quarter past 11. Those who are getting baptized can zoom out and get changed. I'll keep going. We become above and not beneath. How many of us still, leave, still live under the circumstances, eh? Oh, I'm all right under the circumstances. Did you know you're not meant to live under the circumstances? We're meant to live above them. Rain in life. This is not rubbish. This is truth. This is the truth of God. This is what is ours in Jesus Christ. But the church doesn't live it. The church lives defeated. Why? Because we don't understand that we are actually kings and queens. We are actually called to reign in life. We are called to declare and it shall be so. We are called to speak to things and see them happen. Jesus proved that by speaking to the waves in the storm and saying, peace be still, and the waves went away and it was calm. Jesus could calm the storm. How? Through a word. And we have rejected this because of the, once again, the prosperity gospel and and that kind of teaching that's come through and and it's been to an extreme. But there's bits of it that we have thrown away and we shouldn't have. There's things that you are putting up with in your life, in your family, in your circumstances that you can deal with through declaring something about them. And we put up with them because we don't think we can. I want to tell you a little story about my wife and I. Um, I've told you this before, but I'll tell you again because it's it's pertinent. When we were engaged, we had a hell of an engagement. Excuse the word, but it it was like hell. I was horrible. My wife didn't like me. That's what it was. I was a broken person. I was horrible. She didn't like me. She put up with me for a few months, and in the end, she decided, I'm not marrying this. Wise girl. I'm not marrying that. I don't, want to, I don't want to have that for the rest of my life. And we, we were just arguing all the time. It wasn't nice. And, uh, and, and we eventually, 
as very sensible people, after several months, went for some counselling and went to talk to a good friend. And he began to talk, as, you know, counsellors do, about all the things that, you know, relationship stuff. And suddenly he said something. It just came. He says, you're not using spiritual weapons. And we said, what do you mean? He said, you need to tell us to stop in Jesus' name. He said, this is not natural. This is spiritual. And as I began to think back, I realized he was so right. I, I um, during our engagement, I, I, we used to um, have late nights, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, because I didn't want to go home. And uh, one of these late nights, I was driving home, and I, I, I was driving home into my town, down a hill, and this word came to me very, very clear in my head, stop the car, you're going to have an accident. And I totally ignored it, to argued with it, just like we do. And immediately at that point, I went to sleep and drove over the bank. Wrote my car off. I got out unscathed, but my mind was not unscathed. So I went away overseas about a week later with all of this shock stuff going on. And, and, and something got to me while I was away. It was, it, was, uh, it, just, it was subtle, it was slow, but something spiritually got to me. And I, I, as I was flying back after being six weeks away, I just couldn't wait to see Annie. And I'd been writing her love letters every day, because you, know, you still wrote letters in those days. It wasn't email. I'd been writing love letters every day and all that. And then as I was flying into Palmerston North, something happened. I didn't want to see her anymore. It was just like, just instant. I did not want to see her anymore. And I was weird. And from that moment on, I was a horrible person. I was really awful. And, and, and so this went on, and we went to him, and he said, you're not using spiritual weapons. So we went home, and we took authority over it in Jesus' name. Do you know what happened? I changed just like that. Gone. I was nice again. Our relationship was good again. And we got married, as you can see. And you know what? That's never happened again. Same thing happened with one of our kids. One of our kids was being absolutely obnoxious. You know, kids can be awful, eh? Well, he was not just awful. He was diabolical. And we did all the things that you did in those days to fix naughty kids, and it didn't work. He was still diabolical. And suddenly, like a real sensible Christian, I clicked. This isn't natural. So Annette and I, we did, not in front of him, it was stupid, but we, we went away and we took authority over contention in Jesus' name. Different kid. Gone. Nice again. <laughs> Became? Oh, he, he got all of that for nothing. All we need to do is pray for the kid. You see, there, is, there are things that we can speak to and they will go. But we put up with them because we don't realize in Jesus Christ, we're called to reign in life, not be under these things, but be over them. Now, there are some things you've got to go through. I'm not saying everything you're going through is something you can speak out of being. But there are some things you put up with you shouldn't put up with. Because as a king and a queen, you have an authority over those things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get what I'm saying there? Okay. How's that possible? We've got this convoluted passage in verses 12 down to verse 21, where he talks about Adam and he talks about Jesus. And it's hard to understand, so I'm going to very quickly, before I finish, paraphrase it for you. What he's saying is this. Adam, through his disobedience and lack of trust, brought death, brokenness, 
and the loss of relationship with God to the human race. That's basically what he's saying. Because Adam messed it up, we are messed up. Got it? That's what he's saying about Adam. Then Jesus came as the Son of God, came to live as a man. He lived a life that Adam did not live. Everything Adam did wrong, Jesus did right. So Jesus lived an obedient, faith-filled, trusting life. Then Jesus died an obedient, faith-filled, trusting death on our behalf. Adam lived a selfish life. Jesus lived a selfless life. Jesus, through his life and his death, totally undid all of the mess that Adam did. Totally restored us to what Adam had lost. So if you go back and see what Adam had before he fell, it's what Jesus has restored to us now. That's what Paul is saying. So what Adam had in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is now ours through Jesus Christ if we would dare to believe it. What did Adam have? Everything I've just said to you. He had authority. He had provision. He had a status before God. He had a relationship. He had it all. And we can have that in Jesus Christ. When we choose to accept Christ's death on the cross as God's answer for our condition, we have that. When we choose to accept God as our Father, we have that. When we choose to trust Him with our lives and ask Him to rule and reign in us again, we have that. The mess is broken and we are restored. Our poverty is gone. We now step into God's provision. Our hopelessness is gone. We now step into a new authority in Jesus' name. So much. So much. And yet we live in so little. Because we still see ourselves back here. Oh, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, you are not. You are a child, a son and daughter of the king. You were a sinner, but when you're saved, it's gone. It doesn't mean you won't sin. We come to that in chapter 6. But it does mean that in God's sight, he sees you different than you see yourself. And you have so much more than you think you have. I'm just going to leave you to think about that. Do you know what the older call is? Go home and think. Go home and read Romans chapter 5 over and over and over until it fills your heart and your mind and your, and, and your, your, your desires begin to, begin to connect with God's. Begin to see yourself as God sees you. You're a son or a daughter of the king. You are not a no good, useless worm. The devil would have you believe that. You're just a, you're just a, you're just a yuck. No, you're not. You are a beautiful child of the king. God sees you. Hear me? God sees you as perfect. Now, I know you're not, and you know you're not, but God sees you that way. What did he say about Job? 
He is the most righteous man on all the earth. Now, you read the rest of Job. You know Job's not righteous. In our understanding of the word, but before God, in relationship with God, God saw him as perfect. What does that mean? In that state of his development, he was fine. And a lot of you put put yourselves down over and over and over. There's things in your life that you look at and you say, oh God, how can you accept me? I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other. And God says, for goodness sake, I have, Jesus died for you. I see you as in the right. Stop going back there. Yeah, I will fix that. That'll, that'll, that's part of the sozo, the healing stuff. I will fix that, but don't, don't focus on that. Start to focus on what God has done for you. Start to focus on what Jesus has done for you. Start to focus on the wholeness he has for you. And those things will start to come to pass in Jesus' name. We, the, even the provision thing, my wife and I have seen that released more and more and more as we begin to open our hearts and our mind to it. Healing will happen more and more and more in your life as you begin to open your heart and your mind to it. The gifts of the Spirit will be released more and more and more as we begin to open our hearts and our mind to the fact that we can actually do that stuff. Because Jesus said, greater than the things I did shall you do. And none of us have done it yet. Which means we're living a second-class existence. Come let's be honest. If we're not living the kind of life Jesus said we can live, we are living a second-class Christian existence. It's not the way we're meant to be. I think the church has never yet hit what it's meant to be. Church and Acts didn't hit what it was meant to be. There's going to come a day when it will. Jesus is coming for a church which is without spot or wrinkle. doesn't mean perfect people. It just means a church that's finally realized it's the bride of Christ. It's finally realized what it has, she has in Jesus' name. Finally realized she's the head and not the tail. Finally realized that she's accepted before God. That's the church Jesus is coming for. Hmm. So much, eh? And I'm not preaching that as to put anybody down because I haven't got it either. I, 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 there's parts of that I've got to work through. Don't we all? But I tell you what, there's, there's so much that is ours that we don't have. There's so much we put up with we shouldn't put up with. The devil gets far too much of a free reign. He needs a kick in the teeth every now and again. I'm not advocating violence. I'm just advocating the fact that we become who we're supposed to be. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that you have called us to be the head and not the tail. Lord, I thank you that you have done so much for us. Lord, on the cross, on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross, he declared it is finished. That means it's finished. There's nothing more to be done. We've just got to take it. The presents are on the tree. We've just got to take them off. If we leave them up there, that's our choice, but they're there. Father, I just pray that you begin to reveal to us. Lord, open our minds, open our hearts. As, as Paul prayed, give us, a, give us a spirit of revelation. Open our minds and our hearts to what is actually ours in Jesus' name. We all said, Amen.